So on that bookmark, you're going to see the core values. And with each core value, we've come up with a little question to kind of try to encourage us to move forward in that core value. So to this point, a few weeks ago, we started this. And the first one, does anyone remember the first core value we talked about? Anyone? Everybody's got a bookmark. Well, but we don't know if that was the right order. I don't know. Intimacy with God was the first one we talked about. That's right. And the question was this. Am I closer to God today than yesterday? God desires for us to have an intimate relationship with Him. Do you agree? God isn't just this um, you know, cosmic being way far away and we just need to be scared that He doesn't strike us down with lightning and try to do the right thing every day. He desires for us to have a closer relationship with Him than we have with anyone on the earth, even our spouses. Okay, And then we move to relational evangelism. With whom am I building an intentional relationship with that I might share Christ with them? Now, if you spend much time with Sid, eventually he's going to ask you that question. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, if he's planning on having lunch with you in the next couple of weeks, you need to be preparing yourself to have an answer for that question. He asks this all the time in staff meetings because that's, that's the driving force behind Sidney. Sid is about relationships, and he believes, as we all do, that Jesus' example was to make a relationship with someone and that way be able to change their life through that. Not just to stand on the corner and yell whatever he wanted to yell, but he loves people, which took us to our next one from last week, which was people matter. People matter. People inside this church building and people outside this church building. People who are Christians, people who are not Christians, people who smell like you, people who don't smell like you, people who make what you make, people who don't make what you make color you are, it doesn't matter. People matter to God, so they need to matter to me. And the question was, how do I treat others within my sphere of influence? When I'm at my job, when I'm at my home, when I'm on the road, those are all my spheres of influence. At that time, whether or not I like it, I can have influence on people. How am I treating those people? Okay, now today, we're going to be talking about authentic community. And we say real people living real life together. Okay, that's what authentic community is. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a really important one for us. And you'll notice that we didn't choose the core value authenticity just by itself. Okay? And we did not just choose community by itself. But we said authentic community. Are you with me? So it's, it's, it's different than just being really honest with everybody and and, and not being around anyone, or being around everyone and, and lying to everybody about who you are all the time, okay? Because a lot of times we're good, we're good at that kind of thing. Um, so today we're going to start with authentic and then talk about that a little bit, and then we'll move over to community, talk about that a little bit. So when I say the word authentic, what words come to your mind? Genuine, good word, what else? Real, okay. Open. Honest, good word. Loving. Truth. Okay, those are really good words. Those are the kind of words that are good words to us, right? Everybody likes those kinds of words. You want people to be that way to you, right? 
Nobody doesn't want someone to be genuine or honest or loving or open with them. You know, we all want other people to be that way with us. It's sometimes we don't want to be that way with other people, right? So what are the opposites then? What do you, what do you, what do you hear that's the opposite of authentic? Secretive? Deceitful? Superficial? What else? Hatred? Phony, yeah. Yeah. Negative words. <laughs> Negative words. But, but sometimes that's exactly who we are. Let me have you turn to Romans chapter 12. When we live in an authentic community and we're, and we're loving, we can't really pretend that very well. I mean, you either love someone or you don't. If we go back to last week, either people matter or they don't. Are you with me? You can't go around telling everyone, I go to Heritage, and so core value in my life is people matter. And then every other day, you decide which people matter and which people don't. Because that means people don't matter. And so as we talk about these core values, what's important is, is that we are a family here at Heritage. Okay, So if this is going to be our core value, then it has to be core values to us individually. Because we're all part of this family. Does that make sense? I can't just stand up here and proclaim that at Heritage, um, we are all about authentic community. If every one of us individually isn't about authentic community. Does that make sense? We, we either do this or we don't. Okay? I can't stand up and proclaim, my family is the Dallas Cowboys fan family. And then Braxton starts yelling, go Steelers, just to make me mad when they come on. Yeah, he's already learned to frustrate me. And I tell him if he says that, he has to sleep outside. So I am a, I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. But my family, the, the verdict is out still, apparently. We'll see as he grows up, he'll grow into it. But in the same, I didn't really mean to get off on all that. But as a family, authentic community, people matter, relational evangelism, intimacy with God. The reason we do a sermon series like this is because we all individually have to take these on as core values in our life. Okay? Okay? I don't want you to say, I go to Heritage because Sid, Brian, they love people. So I don't have to. <laughs> that, that's, not, okay, that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to do this together as a family. So Romans 12 verse 9 says this. This is probably going to... Uh, Convict some of you. This is what God says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. When was the last time you took delight in honoring someone else other than yourself? Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. There's some really good statements in there, right? What this is saying is that true love cannot be reduced to sentimentalism. You, if you've ever been in church long enough, you've heard you know, that God loves us with a love that's called agape love, right? It's not just, it's not just a love that you, 
you claim to have for someone or that you say or that it's emotional and then some days you love them and some days you don't based on their attitude. It, it's a love. It's a verb. It's an action. And, and there's a lot of those kind of action words in here. Don't just pretend. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Love each other with genuine affection. There's that word genuine. What does genuine mean? It's real, right? You don't have to, you don't have to give me a gift to make me decide to love you tomorrow if I already really love you, right? You don't have to, to treat me really good in front of everybody else. If I already love you, I love you. It doesn't matter, okay? Um, I love at the end it said, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. How often, how often in the Christian community even, even in our churches, do we decide based on some certain criteria who we're going to help and who we're not. Right? Authentic community, though. That's a family. That's a family. Authentic community. And when someone in my family is in, is in need, well, you, you, you step up and you help them. And that's what we're trying to build toward here inside of Heritage. It says, always be eager to practice hospitality. This word hospitality, we just kind of completely ignore that a lot of times in this day and time, right? Now, my grandmother, that hospitality is her thing, right? You tell her you're coming over, and because of where she grew up and when she grew up, the house will be perfect. The fine china comes out, even if you're only going to be there for an hour. And then she's mad at you when you leave, even if she knew you were only going to be there an hour. I mean, she is hospitable. She wants to make sure that the spare bathroom is clean and it's got stocked with paper towels and toilet paper and the right kinds of soap, and then she does it all out, even if it's only going to happen just for a short time. Did you know that hospitality is actually in one of those things in the New Testament that talks about uh, pastors need to have this as a gift? Hospitality. We ought to be hospitable. Now, in this day and time, someone knocks on your door, and if you got folded clothes on the, on the couch, you hide and pretend you're not home because... You don't want them to think, ladies, that you don't have it all together and that you would never have a time where there was clothes on the couch for more than five seconds because that would be terrible, right? Or, you know, we got to, guys, we've got to make sure the yard is mowed before everybody shows up for small group that night because we don't want them to think we live in the jungle and that we're lazy, okay? But hospitality isn't really so much about all of that, but it's opening your home, opening yourself, giving people access to your life. We talk about that a lot in our missional community. you got to give people access to your life if you want to disciple them, if you want to walk along with them. Does that make sense? Sometimes, and I'm a pastor's son, so I've been in church forever, and, and I know the idea that, you know, if we're going to disciple someone, let's gather everyone together on Wednesday night for an hour, and after six weeks, they'll be discipled. That way, they don't ever have to come to our house or spend a whole lot of time with us. But that's not the best way to do it, is it? No, 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 no. Ephesians 4, I'll give you a second to turn over there. Ephesians 4, it's not far from Romans. Just keep going to your right a little bit. Verse 2 and 3 says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's a tough word. I'm going to even reread it again. 
making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make allowance for each other's faults. You know, even inside of our small group sometimes, someone just kind of bothers us. They, do, they make a choice, right, that you go, why would they do that? And then you go home and you talk to your spouse about them. Why would they do that? That's just stupid. You know, or they say something that bothers or offends other people. But this verse says, make allowance for each other's faults. If you went into your small group thinking that everyone was going to be perfect, you fooled yourself, right? So we don't do that. But then when everyone kind of disappoints us and they're not perfect, which we knew they weren't, then we want to be upset with them and talk about them instead of making an allowance for them and their faults because of your love. So see, you have to choose ahead of time. Before you get to this verse, you have to choose that you're actually going to love one another so that you can make an allowance for each other's faults when people fall short of what you kind of expected of them. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right. I mean, you do this already. I mean, your best friend in the whole world does one thing, and you're like, ah, it's just who he is. Somebody else you don't know does the exact same thing, and you could what an idiot. You get all over them, right? So you already do this, so we understand the, the, what I'm talking about. You make allowance for people who you love, right? We do that. We do it as spouses. You know, if so-and-so did that, you know, I would never want to be uh, married to them. But my wife does it well. Just, she's just kind of quirky, you know, and I make an allowance for her, okay? When this begins to happen, though, uh, when you begin to really make an allowance for each other's faults when you, because of your love, when everyone knows there's kind of that safer environment to be themselves because there's authenticity going on in community and love, it becomes a safer place to grow spiritually, right? Because now you feel safe enough even to be authentic yourself. I mean, why are we not authentic sometimes? It's because we're worried about how other people will receive us, Right? I mean, I'm worried if I tell Dan that I three-putted six times that he's going to never want to play golf with me. So I say, well, I three-putted once, you know, and, and it's, I don't even know what else happened. Okay? If, if you're worried about, you know, when you're single, we do it all the time, you know, when you're trying to find someone to marry you, and maybe some of you guys have to lie because no woman would ever want to marry you if you were really honest in the beginning. You know, they got to get to know us. But, but you got to... But when everything... When people know that they're going to be accepted. When people know that if I mess up or if I have a bad day, that people are going to make an allowance for my faults because they love me, well, now I can begin to feel safe enough to be authentic and real with those people. Are you with me? Which is where we want to build this community and heritage. We want people to be able to say, and you've seen it happen if you've been around long enough, to say, I'm really struggling with this. I'm having a hard time with that. In my past, and I've never said this to anyone before, but, but this happened. Those kinds of things, those kinds of um, confessions, those kinds of, of things, reaching out and asking for hope, those don't come unless there's already been a place, an environment built where there can be love and acceptance in there. Are you with me? Right? Because you wouldn't just tell anybody your, your deepest, darkest secrets and your secret sins and the things that you struggle with. 
You would only say that to someone who you felt confident enough who wouldn't flip out on you and they would put their arm around you and love you through moving you towards Christ in that situation, right? At Heritage, authentic community is a core value then. Now, the thing about authentic community is that's kind of one of the messier core values that we have at Heritage because it means walking with people through cheating on their spouses. It means walking through... Um, with people who are addicted to, to, to drugs or alcohol or pornography. It means, it means grabbing someone's hand who's doing something that you would never consider okay to do and, and allowing an acceptance there even though they're wrong because of your love for them. It said, make an allowance for their faults. Is sin a fault? Yeah, so how come we so often, when we find someone caught in sin, we turn our backs from them? Now who's sinning? <laughs> because we're not making an allowance for their fault, are we? And yet that's exactly what Paul says to do. So I, the reason I say this is kind of the messy one is because I think this sometimes really gets into our heart because I want to be authentic and have authentic community with a handful of people who I know will never disappoint me who will never let me down. But I don't really want to do that with everyone at Heritage. But see, that's silly, because either this is a family or it's not. Either authentic community is a core value or it's not. Okay, let's go on. Community. John Stott is a guy, you know, he's a theologian. Okay, John Stott. He writes commentaries, you know, old guy, smart guy, knows way more than I know. This is what he says. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For His purpose is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build His church, that is, to call out of the world a people for His own glory. Are you a person of God? Anybody know Jesus? Is it safe to think that some people here know Jesus? Did you know you're a person of God because first there was a people of God? Did you know that? A lot of times I've heard people say, well, my relationship with God, that's between me and him. It's very private. Actually, that's not really what God intended. <laughs> we don't become a Christian and then decide to go figure out what church we should join. See, what happens is, God doesn't know anything about this right here being called church. God's plan was the church his, for his divine purposes. So when you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God. You are part of the church. It's your new identity. Whether you like it or not, you're now part of that family. Now, you might choose in this day and time, we've got probably 100 churches you know, anywhere close to us right now, in this day and time, we choose and we go and find a place where we can connect and things like that. But you're part of the body of Christ now, His family. If God is the Father, God the Father must have children. Thank you. Some of y'all are really quick this morning. That's us. I can't separate myself from you any more than I can separate myself from my brother Jonathan. Can't do it. It's part of my identity in Christ. And it's a great thing. It's a really good thing. Don't you want to know and live with a family instead of on your own? 
So God doesn't want us to have this isolated life over here where we, we pull into the garage and close the door before we even get out of the car so our neighbors don't have to see us. And then we, we stay inside and in the morning we get in our car and start the car before we raise the garage door so we can get out down the street and go so we don't have to talk to people. That's not the life God intended for us to live. We can't, we can't do relational evangelism that way and we can't live an authentic community that way. And people don't have to matter if you never spend time with people. So that's kind of a cop-out to live not in community. Okay? Now, authentic community, I told you it's messy. Because again, this, this brings up a bunch of fears. Has anyone ever been kind of part of a group and then all of a sudden they were hurt? You ever been left out? Disappointed by the people who you thought really liked you and all of a sudden you're kind of pushed aside? So authentic community then is scary to you, right? I don't want to be real because what happened last time? I don't want to tell people what I'm really thinking because they might think I'm crazy and never invite us over again. Authentic community. So, so what does this look like then? In the book of Acts, chapter 2, you know, this is a pretty famous passage of Scripture for talking about new churches or what the church ought to look like, right? Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, this is pretty, if you read through the book of Acts, which I suggest after you finish the book of Mark today, that you start with Acts. I don't want to mess up your plan already for this afternoon. The book of Acts is fantastic. You know, Heritage is a church plant. We planted this church six and a half years ago. And, and it's been neat to experience some of the things we've seen, right? If you've been here from the beginning, we've seen some neat things. We've seen some people completely turn their lives around and give them to the Lord. We've seen acts of generosity. We've seen communities changed. It's really, really great. But it's nothing compared to what these guys experienced right after Jesus went to heaven and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the only thing that mattered to them was doing exactly what they had been called to do. Even us at Heritage, I love our church, but we still get distracted sometimes, don't we? Lots of things in this world to, to turn our eyes every which way. Listen to what was going on in Acts chapter 2, 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Can you imagine what it would be like if we devoted ourselves to God's Word and to prayer and to spending time with one another? I don't mean just did it. I mean devoted ourselves to that. Can you imagine? A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They sold their property and possessions. <laughs> and they shared the money with those that were in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. Sometimes it's hard for us just to make it on Sunday because of our busy weekend or what we got coming up or whatever. They, they met every day. Met in homes on top of that. You mean I should meet in a home and come to church? Met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That was the outcome. 
Does anybody want to see people saved on a daily basis? Huh? Okay. I mean, we just had a few verses there showing what they were doing, and then that's how God provided. That was the outcome. You know, I'm part of a missional community, and tonight we'll get together at Laura DeBano's house. She's a single mom in my neighborhood. She got saved and baptized a couple of weeks ago. And we'll meet at her home, and we'll share a meal, and there'll probably be 20 crazy kids running around, and it'll be hard to have any time of quiet, but we'll pray together, and we'll eat together, and we'll celebrate what God's doing in our lives, and we'll pray for our Nicaragua teams. You think that's exciting? I love that. My family wouldn't miss that for, for anything. Not even Cowboys on Sunday night football. <laughs> Told you I was a Cowboys fan. But we're not going to miss small group. We're not even going to cut it short so that we can go home for something like that. Because my family, my kids, man, that's everything to us. We love it. And we love that because we've been doing that, we've seen people, even adults, who before claimed there was no God, come and say, Jesus is my Savior. There's nothing more exciting to me. In the book of Hebrews, it says to this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I think sometimes we, we read this verse to, to tell people they shouldn't miss Sunday service. Have you ever, have you ever used that verse like, Oh, you went camping this weekend. Hebrews says we shouldn't neglect meeting together. Well, let me tell you, if we're meeting throughout the week in authentic community, missing a Sunday morning now all of a sudden isn't as big of a deal. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to be here because this is a great time for us as a family as we all gather the body together. However, I... I'd much rather you be meeting throughout the week, and if you miss a Sunday, then, then we move, you know, it's because you got life happening. But when this is the only thing you have as a believer, when this is the one time a week that you worship, when this is the one time a week that you gather with the body of heritage, well then, yeah, it's a big deal when you miss. I think that's also why people get so passionate and, and upset about things that happen on Sunday mornings in some churches, right? I mean, if I only have one time a week of worship for one hour, they dang better sure play the music I like, right? And if they don't, well, I'm going to find a place that, that will, because this is it for me. I'm only going to worship for one hour. I'm only going to be with my body of believers for one hour a week. It's got to be good, and it's got to make me feel happy. I want certain songs at least once every five weeks, okay? And he needs to preach on this, this, and this at least once every year. And don't you dare think about getting rid of my pew. Listen, <laughs> I'm a pastor's son. I've been through every argument you can imagine, okay? It, do you see what I'm saying, though? When this is it, then it becomes very passionate and we become angry. We want to hold on to the things on Sunday morning the way we want them. But that wasn't God's intention. See, we've done this, we've created it, we've made it, and we've called it church. When God said, no, my plan was the church, my purpose was that they would go out and that would be the message that people hear to make my name famous all over the world. That was the plan. That was the purpose for church. Are you with me? Okay. 
You think, you think the idea of community and the family of God, you think that's important to God? You think he would write something about it in his Bible, how we treat one another? You think he would? I'm going to read these verses really fast. You're not going to have time to turn to them, okay? But I'm going to have them on the screen for you. And, and I just picked a few of them. There's so many more. But, but listen to these verses. John 13, 14. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Gross. Gross. Can I give him five bucks and tell him he can, somebody else will wash his feet? Jesus set an example right off the bat. He wanted us to treat others that way. Be humble. Be gentle. John 13, 34, a few verses later. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Some of these are going to sound redundant. You would think, why did Jesus have to tell them to love one another so many times? John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. John 15, this I command you, that you love one another. You would think that after a couple of minutes, they wouldn't have forgotten that already, but he tells them again. Romans 14, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We don't pursue those things that would make somebody feel bad because of what they've done or who they are or what they look like. We pursue those things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Romans 15. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Romans 15, 7. Therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. People matter. Galatians 5, 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear each other's burdens? You mean I should feel bad when you feel bad? Yes. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, or not authenticity, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. You guys, these are great verses, and you've heard them. But do we live like this all the time? I got to admit, I don't. Man, sometimes I think about me and me and my family. And by the time that I get done with those thoughts, I don't even have time to think about someone else and bearing their burdens and and, and washing their feet and loving them the way Jesus loved me and accepting them the way Jesus accepted me because they do stupid stuff. <laughs> That's the way sometimes we think in our human mind and in our flesh. But God is calling us, clearly calling us, to put aside all of that, to build one another up, to think of other people even more important than ourselves, to love them the way Christ did and to accept them the way Christ accepted you. Have we yet so quickly forgotten what how Christ accepted us even when we were in our sin? You remember who you were before Jesus? Have we come so far? Has it been so long that for some reason we thought that we deserved to be saved? I wish I had time for people to stand up and talk about 
testimonies about them being involved in authentic community at Heritage? Because I know there's some people in here. And I think that they would say that being involved in a community where you know that people accept you even though you are, you know, who we are, is a really good thing. You know, I know Colt and Jessica got great sleep last night. At least I hope y'all did. But they've had awful sleep since little Taylor's been born. And last night, they had two separate families in their missional community. One watched Bella and one watched Taylor all night. And they just crashed. You know, or maybe y'all stayed up and watched movies because it was quiet. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but I love that. And, and that's, that's other people saying, you know what? If I don't sleep tonight because Taylor wakes up every few hours and he's hungry, that, that's okay because I'm going to put someone else above me tonight and think of someone else more importantly than myself. Okay? But, but here's my question as we, get, as we get ready to finish. And you know, with two services, see, when I preach, y'all used to get out really early. Now we're so crunched with time, we're going to go to the end anyways. So, sorry. But... But the question is, why? Why is all of this stuff so important to God? What's the purpose of this? I mean, why couldn't God just save us? He knows we're sinners anyways. He's already saved us for all of our sin. Why can't we just not really care to get along? Why can't we just be individuals and then eventually make it up to heaven? Why? Why, why, not? why do we need to be authentic and risk maybe getting in the messes of life? Why do we need to do, risk being hurt by someone who, for a day, we decided they were going to be more important than us, and then they just disappointed us again and let us down? Why do all of that? Another verse. This is in John 13, 35. You can turn to it, and you can highlight it and underline it and put exclamation by it. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Remember when I said earlier that John Stott said that the church wasn't a divine afterthought? The church was actually God's plan? When other people who are not Christians see you living in Christian community, authentic community, loving one another, they will say they must be a disciple and that's attractive to me. And I would like to be a part of that. When you live in, on your own, that doesn't happen because they don't see you loving anybody. I've said many times before, you've heard me say, that the greatest argument for the Christian faith is the Christian community. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? The problem is, a lot of times, the greatest argument against the Christian faith is the Christian community because we don't live like that. I told you we were going to feel convicted today. Christians living individualistic, consumeristic lives, that, that's not attractive to the non-believer. They already have that. You with me? When you live an individual, consumeristic life, you're living just like the person that, that is the non-Christian. They already have that. They don't need that. They're searching for what they don't have, and it's our job to show it to them. 
by being in community with one another, by showing that we love. I want people to be around a group of you and to leave that place and go, I need that. That's what I'm missing. So we have things. We have small groups. We have missional communities. We have these opportunities for you to become involved in a group. Janet talked about the girls that that went to this weekend, and she said we have become really good friends. Some of those are in her missional community. They live life with one another. They share things with one another. When someone's in need and they need AC in their truck, they just pay for it so they can have it done. That's the kind of life that I want everyone here to be able to experience. Not because I want us all to feel good and happy about ourselves, but because I want us to do our job of showing the world what Jesus' love looks like. And that's how you do it. That was God's plan. Okay? So here's the key question. Authentic community. Am I in a small group for accountability, encouragement, and spiritual growth? And if not, then it's time to find one. It's time to let down some of those guards that say... If I were in a group, you know, someone might ask me if I had any sins or struggles. And then I may have to either lie or tell them the truth. And neither one of them sound like a good answer. (laughs) Right? But it's time to have that. Our next missional community training is January 11th. It's a Saturday. If you've not been to one of those, you should come. It's not a boring day. It's fun. I'm kind of entertaining. And I feed you lunch. So, it's a Saturday, it's, it's something that you got to commit to, but something like this is important. And what we talk about is, what does this look like? What does missional community look like? What does it mean to live in a group like that? And how can we then use that to spread the gospel all over this area? I hope that you'll begin thinking about that. If you're in a group, fantastic. And if you're not, let's move toward authentic community. Because again, we can't say that authentic community is a core value at Heritage unless we, as individuals who make up the body of Heritage, believe that authentic community is a core value. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. I'm amazed at how much you've given us. You did not leave us here alone but you've given us your word, your living word, and your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, the Spirit is convicting us this morning and showing us um, where we ought to move next to follow your will, to be obedient to you. You've said that those who are your disciples are those who obey your commands. You've said that people will know we're your disciples by the way we love each other. Help us to do that. Take away our insecurities. Take away our selfishness. Help us to be gentle and humble. I pray that we would begin making an allowance for each other's faults because of our love for one another. And I thank you most of all for Jesus and the love he showed for us on the cross by dying for us even while yet we were still sinners. We thank you for the price paid. I pray that you would send us out this week, Father, to be a light to our communities, to the places that we have influence. In your name, amen.